0: Yes, indeed. Welcome to the Fret Files Podcast. My name is Eric Daw. I'm your friendly neighborhood guitar scientist with almost 25 years of experience building and repairing guitars. How is that possible when I'm only 29? I'll let you do the math. This is a podcast about guitar repair, guitar building, guitar news, guitar science, guitar opinions. Sitting beside me is my lovely wife and co-host, Melissa. Melissa.
1: This is a question and answer episode where we will respond to listener submitted emails. I will read the questions and Eric will try to answer them.
0: We've got some really good questions. Questions about nut slot depths, flat, Fascinating. Yes, flat son versus quarter son necks. B string intonation, specifically B string. Wow. And uh, f- questions about fret leveling questions about wood glue. We've got a great question about um, what's the best way to glue two surfaces together? Do you want them to be as flat as possible? Or like a lot of repair guys score the underside of a bridge when they when they glue it on to uh-huh. give to supposedly to give the, the glue something to kind of bite onto. Cool. So which method is right? Flat or scored? We're going to find out. We're going to talk about it. But first, uh, you know, I was thinking about doing some guitar news, Uh but we've got so much to go through here that I'm not even going to... I'll just touch on it really quickly. Gibson's in trouble. Uh Uh-oh. I mean, everybody knows, and it's uh, been... I mean, if you're into the guitar industry, you've known for a long time anyway, but Gibson's on basically uh, bankruptcy's door. So I read today that they... They laid off 15 of their custom shop employees in Nashville. Ooh. Yeah, you hate to see that happen.
1: That stinks.
0: I know, but what are they, what are they going to do? I mean, yeah, they got to cut some 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 spending somewhere, right? Right. Anyway, in other news, I've had some really fun things in the shop lately, and some interesting things. I've been making a lot of custom pickups. I uh, sent a uh, bass pickup to Sweden recently, custom order.
1: We're going international.
0: Yeah. A lot of, uh, you know, standard, fair Strat and Tele pickups. I've been winding P90s and, you know, all kinds of stuff. Lots of pickups. I just completed two custom guitars uh, that I just sent to Emerald City Guitars in Seattle today. They're going to... They're going to be on the sales floor at Emerald City. Sweet. Yeah, and I'm working on. Oh man, I got a great guitar. I really I bought it to resell, but uh, the more I looked at it and the more I worked on it, the more I fell in love with it. I think I'm going to keep it. It's that. It's the uh, Roy. Really? Yeah. You knew about that, didn't you? I think I'm going to keep that guitar. It's a Harmony Archtop from the '50s. Uh. It's a Roy Smek branded archtop, great little guitar. Blonde archtop electric guitar, no cutaway, two single coil pickups. They're the P13s. They're made by Gibson. They're kind of the precursor to the P90. Really cool pickups. They really sound great. Anyway, I I think what I'm going to do is sell a couple other guitars and keep that one oh, because okay. it's well, I got it for a good price, and it needed some work. So the top was collapsing on it. And so I picked it up for a, a pretty good price, and I thought, well, you know, I'll fix it. There's either—I thought maybe there were some loose braces in there or something was going on. I get it in my shop, take the pickups off, get a mirror in there, start looking around. There's no braces in that guitar.
1: I don't understand how it's—because it, that's just thi- pretty thin wood. It's pretty thick.
0: It's pretty thick Is it? plywood Oh, that they, um, I'm sure— pressed into the archtop shape uh-huh. at the factory but over the last, you know, 60-70 years the top has just collapsed under the uh, string tension. I mean not terribly, but enough that it needed to be corrected. So yeah. I actually added some braces to it. I, I I heated the guitar up a little bit. I shot some steam in there. I I put some uh some uh there's I've gotten some little clamps that expand they're mm-hmm. jack clamps, basically, for gluing braces. Cool. And I slowly started to kind of pressure the top back into where I wanted it to be. And, um, you know, once I got it kind of looking right, I made a couple braces, and I just added my own braces. I don't care. Who's going to stop me? Anyway, it works great. <laughs> you look at the top now, and it's not really sagging at all. It looks perfect. So Cool. Yeah, I mean, it's not... so; They're not full braces that run the whole length of the body. Right. But about halfway. Nice. Yeah, and it really helped. It really did the trick. And I thought, I should hold on to this thing at least for a little while to keep an eye on this, you know, modification that I've done.
1: Just in case.
0: And it did change the tone a little bit, but uh, it's playable now, where it wasn't really before, so... Well, cool. Yeah, super cool. What else is going on? What's on your bench? What are you working on?
1: Well, uh, I'm actually working on a pick guard. My first pick guard ever.
0: A leather pick guard. A leather
1: pick guard. It's a pinup girl on a bomb. And uh,
0: wait, a pinup girl on a bomb, like yeah, riding a bomb, like
1: riding a bomb in, into the sunset, like
0: Slim Pickens from the movie. Uh,
1: uh, Strange Love.
0: Str- yeah, Doctor Strange Love. Yeah. Wow.
1: Yeah, um, and it's actually uh, for my dad, which is a little weird, but cool. My dad's in a cool band, and he wants a cool pickguard for his guitar.
0: Yeah, it looks really cool. Thanks. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. We have a few calls. We have two calls.
1: Wow. I know.
0: Let's let's uh, let's take them, shall we?
1: Sounds good.
2: Hey, this message is for the Fret Files. This is Andrew in Northern California. Hey, I'm a amateur builder and guitar fixer and uh, built a couple acoustics and just doing a little bit of repair and fret jobs for a friend. Um, I had a friend come to me with um, like a middle 80s Alvarez steel string acoustic like D-shape and it it looks like um, he's played the snot out of that thing. Uh, you, it's what he had when he was in high school, and so he's got all this emotional attachment to it. Um, but it looks like most of the bracing of the top is either cracked or collapsed. Um, the bridge is rotating pretty hard. And it looks like um, somebody put some kind of wooden bridge support device on the bridge plate, almost like what a Breedlove has when it comes to stock. I don't know if that was stock on Alvarez's too, or if somebody added that later. Um seems to me the most straightforward thing would be to pop that ivory binding off and get the back off and just re-brace the whole darn thing, um, which I would do for him because he's a cool dude. Uh, but I've never pulled the back off of a guitar, nor have I pulled binding off. Um, I know it's kind of crazy and out of the box, but it would be a fun project to do. And um, if it plays at all when we're done, we'll be very, very happy. So um, any pointers for getting the binding off? And then um, getting the back off. It looks like it just has a nitro finish. It's not super thick. You know, I don't think it's a UV thing or a pop nasty poly finish or anything. Um, so wonder if you had any pointers for me. Um, I know the guitar's probably not worth it. Uh, somebody told them it cost them $800 to do at the shop, um, I guess. But it would be kind of a fun thing to do for beer and hang out. So anyway, thoughts. I'd appreciate it. Love the show. And, um, yeah, appreciate it.
0: Did you catch his name? Was it Andrew?
1: I think it was Andrew, yeah.
0: Andrew. Very very ambitious of you, my friend. Uh but you know, here's the deal. That so first of all, that bridge support system you're talking about is called a bridge doctor. Uh that's it's I think the uh they're sold by something called JLD JLD Research or something like that. Bridge doctor is what it's called. And they, yeah, they are installed in a lot of Breedloves. That's a that's a solution that um isn't acceptable to install on a nice guitar, or I don't want to say that's not a nice guitar, on a valuable guitar. Like you would never want to put a bridge doctor in a vintage Martin or a Gibson or something. But on a '80s Alvarez where the top is collapsing, eh, I it sounds okay to me. You know, uh, the bridge doctor. Some people say it really improves tone like like a sound post in a violin. I think it's kinda like putting a blanket over the top myself. I don't think it improves tone. Um But if your top is collapsing, it's it's a good, you know, Hail Mary final save. Anyway, that so that could come out and if you're gonna rebrace the thing Um, I'd be, I mean, I don't, I haven't seen how bad it is, so I don't know if you're really up against a a really bad project here or not. I've almost never, ever had to do something that extreme. You can almost always work inside the guitar. Of course, I have really skinny arms. They fit in the sound hole, you know, all the way over. So, you know, maybe, well, I mean, working on the inside of a guitar is difficult. If you've got braces that are collapsing and falling in and they're way back you know by the end block
1: and you have fat arms too. and you have
0: fat arms in a small sound hole i don't know what you're up against there
1: it's a big problem
0: well anyhow if you're gonna take the back off it would certainly uh make working on the toppies here but taking the back off is uh it's not that fun
1: i feel like taking the back off is fine but putting it back on That's probably the... Well,
0: getting it back on cleanly and making it look like it never happened, that's really the trick. So it sounds like it's got binding. That needs to come off. The first thing I would do would be to score very carefully, score exactly where the binding meets the wood so that when you take the binding off, it doesn't take a bunch of finish with it. So you'll score the binding. Some people even scrape the finish off of the binding just as a further precaution. You know. Right. So, um, But you'll you'll want to remove all the binding.
1: So do you heat it up to take it off, or do you the just... The
0: binding, no. Um, Chisel it um, out? Yeah, the, so I don't know what the neck heel looks like that on either. Usually the seam is right behind where the neck, uh, the back of the neck is, you okay. know? Yeah. So the seam will be right there. You'll want to start at the seam. And if you can get the binding off, score around it. And then you can very carefully take it off. And then once the binding's off, uh, you can work a, you want a very thin, very sharp spatula that, um, you can heat up. So I use, you know, you use a hot spatula to get into that joint. I don't know if Al, I doubt Alvarez uses hide glue. They're probably, they're probably like a modern tight bond glue. The, I, I assume that's a Japanese made guitar. Anyhow. My biggest word of caution is take your time and be super careful.
1: And have fun. Have
0: fun. You could watch, uh, I bet there's YouTube videos of guys taking the backs off of guitars, at least so that you've seen it done. Right. You know, you know what you're getting into. Um, Sometimes you can work uh, your first, the, the first cut internally. It, reach inside the guitar and and do the first. Once you get it, once you get one s- little section of it loose, then you know it yeah. sh- it should be easy going from there. The tough part is getting the first <laughs> yeah. little section loose.
1: Yeah, that sounds stressful.
0: Good luck, my man. Yeah, I hope it goes well. Let's take another call. Sounds good.
2: G'day, Eric and Mel. This is uh, Andy. Just wanted to. Uh... Let Mel know. I listened to the uh, last episode of the uh, the podcast and you definitely have more than one Australian listener. Um, actually got a question for Eric as well. Um, I've been experimenting with some oil finishes on necks. Just wondering if you've tried that at all and if, uh, you had any success with any particular brands. I've used true oil and, uh, and sort of messed around with a, with a couple of different combinations, but just wondering if you had any real success with, uh, with any of those, if you've tried any. Anyway, have a good one, and don't be afraid of the snakes or spiders. That's just what we tell American tourists to keep them out.
0: Cheers. That's great. No, I knew we had more than one Australian listener. We have many. We do.
1: Yeah, now we have Andy and Jim.
0: No, there's way more. Well. there's. I know that there's more because okay. I, because trust me, there's more.
1: You just have a sixth sense about Australia. No, I, I
0: interact with them on Facebook, and they Aww. write in questions. They write in. They tell me, Eric, we're from Australia. We listen to your show. Aww. I've I haven't really experimented much with oil finishes. I really haven't. I've used boiled linseed oil, and uh, yeah, it was all right. Uh, I used that to f- to finish the back of a neck once, and uh, I don't know if I did it right. It, it just, it, it, the stickiness never really went away fully. Um, so, no, it's not something that I've, you know, I've, I've sprayed plenty of lacquer. Uh, so if you've got a lot of experience out there in listener land with oil finishes and you've got a uh, brand to recommend, why don't you write in and tell us about it? Because, uh, Andy in Australia wants to know. Cool. Yeah. Thanks for the call.
1: And thanks for the tip about the uh, spiders and snakes. Now we know it's safe.
0: We have... Look, here's the deal. I guarantee you we've got spiders and snakes that would rival the worst of the Australian variety right here in Idaho. We've got some pretty badass spiders. Yeah. And snakes.
1: We have rattlesnakes and hobo spiders. We
0: absolutely do.
1: But are... As long as that spider is small enough that I can step on it, I'm okay with it.
0: It's the small ones you got to watch for. The small ones are the most poisonous.
1: I think you're thinking of scorpions.
0: You're right. Uh, let's read some, some uh, questions. Okay. Letters. We get letters. We get stacks and stacks of letters. All right. Now we get into the real meat of the show. This is the real, not that the calls weren't. Actually, the calls were excellent. Thanks for the calls, guys.
1: Keep them coming. Hi, Eric. To prove your point, thank you for pointing out XRDS. Aha. I'm a blues lover and have never found a decent channel with a good mix of music. Uh, is
0: that so? So
1: I'm one of the millions of new listeners they will be getting hmm. from your podcast followers. Keep the recommendations coming. Axel.
0: Axel. Thank you. I, I do appreciate that. I just want to say that... I messed up a little bit when I uh, when I plugged XRDs in Clarksdale. This is a uh, blues stream that you'll find online, XRDS, I said dot com. It's dot fm XRDs dot fm in Clarksdale, Mississippi. Fabulous blues stream. They only play uh, only about ten percent of it is stuff that I don't like, which is pretty good because normally it's about eighty percent that I don't like on any other given blues stream. Right,
1: because you don't like anything.
0: Well. I'm picky. That's all. Right, Axel. Thank you. I'm so glad. I, and I knew that. Other, I knew that list, some listeners would find that
1: somebody took my to be side too.
0: very informative.
1: Somebody thought that you should not talk about it on air.
0: That's I know. I'm sorry, I'm wasting your precious time <laughs> with my podcast that you choose to listen to.
1: Hi, Eric and Melissa. I hope you're both doing well. Just wanted to say that I love the show and it's really provided me with great content to binge on whilst I am in the process of building my first guitar, a Fender Strat style. As a result, I have a couple of questions. Firstly, I was wondering whether the string slot depths on the nut need to match the radius of the fretboard. Oh, that's a good question. I am sanding my fretboard radius to 10 inches and I am hoping to use a pre-cut Fender style bone nut. Will I need to slightly file down the slot depths to match the 10 inches, or is this not so important at the nut and only adjusting the saddle heights to 10 inches will be sufficient? Also, do you have any tips on contouring and shaping the back of the neck? There isn't much information out there on how to do this other than to feel your way through it until you've achieved the desired result. Can you recommend a more measured approach to achieving specific shapes, thicknesses, and taper? I have a rasp file and a Japanese Shinto saw at my disposal. Appreciate your help. All the best, Joe from Sydney, Australia. See, we have three. I'm
0: telling you, like half of our listeners in, in in Australia.
1: Well, someday we'll go there.
0: Thanks, Joe. Um, yeah, it's an interesting question. I don't, I don't ever think of it that way. Yes, the slots have to meet, have to match the radius of the fingerboard. But that's not how I cut them. It, how do you cut? D- them? To me, it depends on on um, how far the string is from the first fret. It's not it. I don't use a radius gauge to cut it. In other words, I mean, so I I can I can install a nut and never know what radius. I never think about what radius the neck is, what radius the fingerboard is.
1: So you just go each each string the distance from the first fret. Is that what you said?
0: Yeah. So. Um, it's a it's a it's it's a process where you you take a specific file that's the right thickness for the string and you deepen the groove and it, you want to angle it towards the headstock so that so that the slot has to be angled right okay and um you want what i do is i depress the string at the uh third fret mm-hmm. and then see how much clearance i have Over the first fret, and you want just enough clearance to like slip like a business card, card cardstock, in there. Maybe not even that much, you know, just a tiny bit of clearance over the first fret. When you depress the string at the third fret, does this make sense?
1: Yes. Did you teach yourself how to do this? Was this a technique shown to you by someone?
0: No. This is the technique that uh, most people do. I think. I mean, as far as I know, it's it's what every tech that I've ever known. Whatever repair guy I've ever known, how they do it. Because if you try to match it to the radius, you're, I mean, I don't, first of all, I'm not even sure how you would do that, but um it all depends on, it all depends on the clearance over the first fret.
1: Huh.
0: Yeah. So, uh if you're using a pre-slotted nut, I guarantee you the slots are going to be way too high. You're going to have to deepen them. Hmm. Absolutely. Because... They err on the side of caution with those and leave, right. them, leave them high so that you can fine-tune them because not every, you know, not every Fender Strat with a 10-inch radius has the same fret height. Wow. And that's what it depends on is your fret height.
1: Fascinating. Yeah,
0: so there you go. What Did, did he have another question there? Uh, uh. Oh, how do you shape the back of a neck? Well, it really is kind of a feel thing um, you know you take it slow you use calipers uh, you um, <laughs> yeah it just it's the one of those things that really takes experience and you take it slow and and uh, feel your way through it
1: well, he's he's asking for a measured approach and you mentioned calipers, so I assume that there's some sort of measurement you're trying to match. Well,
0: yeah, so the neck th- the neck thickness from the very from the very back of the neck to the front of the fingerboard, you know, you're you're I'm assuming you have kind of a goal in mind here. Kind of a standard thickness would be like uh .85 at the first fret.
1: .85 what?
0: Inches? Oh, yeah, .85 inches uh but he's th- in australia though could, what's uh, that
1: in metric
0: <laughs> what's that in australian numbers <laughs> i don't know i don't have my conversion uh, calculator uh so yeah you know but there's more to it than just depth there's the way it rounds off whether it's whether it's a very you know there's like a u-shaped neck where the sides are almost straight and then it really comes into a, a curve right. or it really starts curving early like and a, then comes down and, you know, sometimes they come into a point, like a V at mm-hmm. the very back. So it really is personal preference and experience.
1: So maybe just take a look at what you, you're playing so far that, that he likes and yeah, try I'm sure and imitate it. Well, or? yeah,
0: you've got, a, you've got a neck profile in mind and then you need to, by hand, shape it into that profile taking it one little bit at a time and, and taking measurements as you go. Well, wow. Thanks, Joe.
1: Hello from Philly. Thank you for connecting me with Mr. Neckdive here in Philadelphia. Oh, yeah. I was listening to episode 54 while setting up an acquaintance's guitar when you read my fellow Eagle's email, and he stated that he could not use a leather or suede guitar strap to fight neckdive because he is a vegan.
0: I hooked those two guys up. No Not not well, in that way, people I set him up on a blind date of sorts <laughs> A blind luthier date
1: I hope now, Are you guys best friends now?
0: Here's the, here's the deal I was hesitant to do that Because what if one guy kills the other? Then it would be your what? fault It would be my fault
1: Your fault In fact, that's, I'm surprised that's not that happen. the police aren't knocking on the door right now
0: I'm just being silly Go ahead, I'm so sorry
1: I literally lulled as the kids say so loud that my wife came in from the other room and asked me if everything was okay.
0: He lulled at the vegan part?
1: Yeah, so does is that thing does that I don't I don't understand why he's laughing.
0: Oh cuz vegans are hilarious. You didn't know that? <laughs> that's, that's why they're vegans is for the for the lull. I don't know. Maybe he, it just surprised him so much that he lulled. well. Here's here's a guy that's got a problem. We come up with a solution with the help of listeners. I mean, this took multiple people to even get this solution to his ears, and he come he comes up with a reason why it won't work. Hey. I, well, I would have used a suede strap, except
1: come on, I'm a vegan. There's nothing. Wrong I'm not with saying being a there's
0: vegan. anything wrong with it. I'm saying that he had an objection to our solution, well, and- which is pretty funny. You've got to admit, it's pretty funny.
1: All I'm saying is that he. I mean, take what are the odds? The concept of our solution and sure. use it in a vegan right. manner.
0: But it just goes to show you that no matter what solution you come up with, there's always going to be an objection somewhere. Right. Some unforeseen objection. It was. That's why it was funny. Not vegans aren't laughable. It's not nobody's laughing at vegans. <laughs> it's just. It was just funny that he had an objection to the solution. I mean, what are the odds that he would? What are the odds? It was funny. Go ahead.
1: We uh, we don't judge here. We we all we accept everybody not here. Uh, here's a question for you. Do you take special precautions when performing fret leveling and crowning on a fretboard with binding and nibs? If so, what are the steps? If not, can you set my mind at ease that I will not damage the damage the nib binding over frets when performing leveling and crowning? Thanks, Idaho Joe in Philly.
0: Cool. Fret leveling on a guitar with binding nibs is no big deal it's not a big deal uh refretting that is a big deal when you've got nibs binding nibs but no fret leveling you're you're not going to damage anything just be careful it it'll be great
1: are, are nibs just a design mm-hmm. as i mean is there any purpose to nibs
0: no it's not the it's so close to the edge of the neck that it it's not the playing surface of the fret it's just a it's just a design element that Gibson started.
1: What a pain in the rear end.
0: Yeah. Well, they um, they fretted the guitar and then put the binding on.
1: So then they had to cut the binding.
0: Well, they yeah, they fretted the fingerboard and then they put the binding on so the binding has speed bumps at the end of every fret. Right. No big deal. And, yeah, no big deal to do a fret level on it, too. Just be careful and don't round it over with the file and don't sand them off. And don't polish them off <laughs> what the? just, just be careful That's all
1: Hey Eric and Mel I absolutely love your show The chemistry between you two is pretty awesome And makes the listener feel like they are just shooting the breeze With a couple of good friends That's good You're our only friends listeners
0: We're, we're all good friends here
1: My question is a simple one, I think. If I am fretting most notes when I play, i.e. not playing many open strings, does it really make much difference what my nut is made of? Thanks for the podcast. Oh, and thank you for the recommendation about XRDS Radio. See? Love
0: it. See that?
1: Regards, Randy in beautiful Eastern Oregon.
0: Thanks, Randy. My fellow blues lover. Uh, I tell you, um, it's, yeah, sure, I guess, if you're not ever gonna play open notes, it doesn't matter, um, it's like, if your first fret buzzes and you never play below the third fret, does it matter? If a tree falls in the forest and nobody's around to hear it, does it make, you know, I mean, I guess it doesn't matter, but, do you, you play open notes, though, don't you? I mean, you gotta, I'm, I'm sure you play, some play some an point. occasional open note, um, I like bone for a nut. I, I I guess I guess that's what it comes down to to me is is uh, a plastic nut looks f- and feels cheap, you know, and I don't want cheap parts right. on my guitar. That's all. That's all it really. That's that's really most of what it is to me. So thanks, Randy.
1: Hi, Eric and Melissa. I love the show and have been listening to all the back episodes. They are great. My question is about my Gibson SJ-200. It has a tusk nut and saddle, and I am guessing the pins are the same, as they appear to be some sort of plastic. I would like to replace the bridge pins with bone ones, and I see that Stumac sells some good-looking Waverly ones with abalone dots. I think they would look great on this guitar. Do these need to be fitted to the guitar, or do they drop in? Also, the saddle has all sorts of angles molded in for intonation. If you replace it with bone, do you file these in? Thanks and keep up the good work. Tyler.
0: Thanks, Tyler. Those bridge pins may or may not need to be fitted to the guitar. It's hard for me to say. Um, Oftentimes, uh, they will stick up a little bit too high, and you'll have to open up the holes just a little bit with a tapered reamer. Or you could sand the pins down a little bit, either way. But, you know, usually what I do is just open up the holes just a little bit for the. They might drop right in. Chances are they, they just might drop right in. I don't know. So we're dealing with wood, and uh, it's a tapered hole. It's anybody's guess. Is, is Are they going to drop right in or not? I don't know. But those are good-looking pins. I like those. Um, Stumac sells some nice bone bridge pins. Uh, make sure you get the slotted ones. And uh, Allparts sells some nice-looking bone ones, too. It says they're camel bone.
1: Wow. Yeah,
0: which I... You know, most bone that you buy, like saddles and everything, is is cow bone. Right. Yeah. But All Parts sells some camel bone. I don't know why. But they do. Yeah, they look good. I've used them before. Uh, yeah, if you replace the saddle, um, does it need to have the angles filed in for intonation? Yeah, it might. So on that pre-made tusk saddle... Nobody sat there and dialed that in for the intonation. It was just pre-made. It's it, it comes out of a machine that way, pre, you know, s- angled for intonation purposes. Right.
1: Injection molded.
0: And uh, I assume that there is a little bit of research behind it. I would hope so, that at Gibson, that um, <clears throat> that uh, you know, that once they put that saddle on there, it's intonated properly. But I don't know. What I would do if I were replacing the saddle is I would make a bone saddle that has um it's just, you know, straight. Well, like a a a, a curve across the top. What am I trying to say? Uh,
1: not angled?
0: Well, just a a smooth saddle. Rounded on the top, smooth saddle, and then check the intonation with an accurate tuner. And if you need to file away some parts to nudge the string Back or forth a little bit, then you can do that. Um, with acoustic guitars, intonation is, is not, it's not as precise as it is with electric guitars. With electric guitars, the sound is so clear and direct that any intonation inconsistencies really, uh, really stand out. With acoustic guitars, because, because the top is vibrating and there's so much happening, uh, all the overtones They're a little bit more forgiving. They don't have to be as precise as electric guitars tend to need to be. So uh, is it absolutely necessary to file in those intonation notches? No, but I would check it and uh, then proceed from there. Cool. Thanks, man.
1: Hi, guys. I was listening to an interview with Peter Malinowski. Who makes a number of very impressive and original guitars? I'm a boring old traditionalist, so they aren't all to my taste, but his ability and craftsmanship is obviously of a high standard, and I appreciate the quality of his work. He also holds multiple degrees in design and woodworking, so he ought to know what he's talking about. In the interview, I heard he only uses flat sawn lumber for necks, as wood always wants to move, and flat sawn will move up and down in the direction easily corrected with a truss rod adjustment whereas quarter sawn will want to move side to side in a direction that can't be corrected. I felt that there was an implication that this was the sort of thing a cabinet maker would know, but a lot of guitar builders have never learned. He seems to be amusingly, curmudgeonly, and quite happy to go against convention, but what he says also makes sense, and he has the experience to back it up. So I really just wanted to hear your thoughts on this, as I have never heard anyone else talk about it. I don't know how often necks banana off to the side due to wood movement, so maybe this isn't worth worrying about. By the same token, I don't hear of flat sawn necks snapping in half because they aren't as strong as quarter sawn ones. What do you think? Cheers, Scott from London.
0: Thanks, Scott. Yeah, it's interesting. It's an interesting theory, and uh, I'm certainly, you know, nobody's right and nobody's wrong. I mean, you're going to hear all kinds of uh, different theories from people. But um, I, you know, here's the thing. The necks a neck on a guitar is being pulled in one direction, and that is uh, uh, by the strings, you know. Right. They're not being pulled from side to side by any force whatsoever other than unless there's some internal flaw in the wood, internal force in the wood that makes it want to warp, but, um, you know, a properly kiln dried piece of wood that's properly finished. Uh, you know, it, the stress it's receiving is really in one direction from the pull of the strings. Hmm. It's not going to warp from side to side. You, oh, you, I, I, you never see that. You see a twisted neck occasionally where it's, uh, a twist has happened, but, um, and I suppose that that, might be what he's talking about there, but uh, no, a flat on neck gives more rigidity in the direction that the strings are pulling, and uh, that's just my opinion on it. I, I really think that, you know, while I respect his opinion, mine differs. Um, the other thing about it that he maybe mentioned and maybe didn't, I don't know, I didn't, I didn't uh, hear the interview, but a neck is a it's a cantilever, basically, and a, ne- a neck has um, a certain amount of give to it, right? The more stiff the neck is, the less string energy it absorbs. And, if, and a, uh, a quarter sun neck um, has less give to it because it doesn't want to curl up with the string tension. And so, the string energy is, rather than being absorbed, deflected, and you end up with, in theory, a little better tone and sustain uh, when you have a quarter son neck. Now, wow. if I were to take the Pepsi Challenge and play two identical guitars blindfolded, one with a quarter son neck and one with a flat on neck, I really don't think that I would be able to tell you just by playing them, which one is which, but that's the theory. Apparently, quarter sawn is a little better because it's stiffer in the direction of the pull of the strings, and and uh, that's that's my opinion, and I'm sticking with it. It it's not it's not enough of a difference that like I don't use quarter sawn necks usually. I use flat on necks. Uh, quarter sawn necks cost more, and they. I mean, I'll use them occasionally uh, if I'm making. A special guitar, or if I'm, especially if I'm using flamed or figured maple, I want it quarter sawn because those are more prone to warp. So, but the flat sawn is fine. Quarter sawn's fine. It's all, you know, this is all dancing on the head of a pin about nuances.
1: It's all good. You know,
0: let's just play guitar and be happy. <laughs> let's take a break, shall we? Let's take a break and we'll come right back after this. Okay.
1: As you may already know, I make custom leather guitar straps. I hand make each strap from start to finish. I start with a hide of some of the finest vegetable tan leather on the market. Each hide is chosen for exceptional quality, color, and grain. If you haven't been to my website lately, you need to check it out. I've got a bunch of new strap designs and colors listed with more on the way. If you don't see the perfect strap, contact me with your custom order idea. Visit melcoleather.com to seek examples of custom orders I've done in the past. If you're a dealer, I offer competitive wholesale pricing. Email melcoleather at gmail.com for details. Find me on Facebook, Instagram, and of course, Etsy. If you're listening to this, you get 15% off when you enter code FRETFILES at checkout at melcoleather.com. That's M E L C O leather.com.
0: It's hard for me to talk about the guitars that I make. I feel like I'm bragging or I feel like I'm being a pushy salesman, but I'm not above reading unsolicited emails from happy owners of my guitars and uh, calling it a commercial.
1: Hi, Eric. Hope you are doing well. Just wanted to follow up and say that I love this guitar. The tonal difference in all of the switch positions is amazing. The neck is so fast and straight and it's very light. Most importantly, the pickups are incredible. Any tone is available. Nate.
0: Well, thanks, Nate. I'm so glad that he's happy with that one.
1: Eric, thanks so much for making my favorite guitar. I've owned so many, and I can't figure out why this guitar feels like the one that I've been playing with my whole life, even though I've only had it a month. Thank you, Eli. Right on you did it again my friend why do your pickup sound so f-ing good <laughs> David
0: uh, you know I tell people it's like it's like making a cake you got to have the right recipe you got to have quality ingredients and you have to it all comes together in a certain way and if you do the wrong thing at any certain step then you end up with a bad cake right it's like making a delicious very good sounding cake go ahead
1: recently purchased the nitro blonde pinup custom guitar you made the intonation resonance playability and that amazing tone in all three coil selections is by far the best i have ever played i plug in and can't stop playing for hours i will probably sell both of my other guitars and get another pinup thanks douglas
0: that's what i like to hear douglas thank you and you guys are so nice You can see these lovely creations at pinupcustomguitars.com. That's P-I-N-U-P, like pinup girl, pinupcustomguitars.com.
1: Hey Eric, I had a Schechter Tele that I had a lot I like about, but I never liked the feel of the neck, too thin and D-shaped. I found a cool Fender Tele neck that had meat and a lot less lacquer, also my preference. For the most part, transplant was nearly seamless. I did have to open up the neck pocket with some sandpaper to get a good fit. I got the guitar set up with a good neck angle and action. The problem is that the intonation is just barely there, and to get it there, several of the saddles are pinned back as far as they can go on the bridge. I think intonation would be spot on if I could get another turn on the saddle screw. The current bridge is a roller bridge that helps with staying in tune with the Bigsby. I was wondering if you know any tricks for getting another sixteenth of an inch of string length out of a bridge. Are there some bridges known to have wider variation for string length? Should I switch away from roller bridge to squeeze a little more length out of the shaper saddle? Any advice appreciated. Thanks, Jeff.
0: Jeff, you're going to need all the help you can get on tuning with that Bigsby. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just giving Jeff a hard time. I'm not a big fan of Bigsby's. I think they... Yeah, anyway. Uh, here you go. Uh, I don't know, because I haven't seen your guitar. I'm trying to picture what bridge you have. You say it's a roller bridge, so I'm, I'm picturing like a... Uh, you've got you've got the fender. You So you've got a telly that's got a... Probably the horseshoe Bigsby and then like a roller bridge like a, like a Gretsch would have or something. So, um, yeah, measure that sucker and see. Maybe you can get a wider bridge like a Nashville. A Nashville, uh, two pneumatic has a, it's, it's wider and you can often get a little more throw on those screws, get the intonation a little closer. Um, I, I don't, I don't have any tricks up my sleeve. I can't think of any secret, you know,
1: Guitar voodoo? secret
0: guitar voodoo um to get that to intonate more properly, other than changing out the bridge uh with something a little wider um the other way to do it is to you know pull the posts and dowel the holes and fill them and then redrill and move the whole bridge, which you know it's kind of a kind of a big process mm-hmm. you know so but that can be done. You could do that, too. So those are two options. Wider bridge, move the posts. Cool. Thanks, man.
1: Hey, Eric and Melissa. Got a few questions around tuning. Why is it that the B string is so often the hardest to keep in tune on many guitars? Any tips on guitar setup ties to combat tips to combat this? Also, what are the pros and cons of wound versus unwound G strings? question two i love sgs but i often hear that vintage sgs have tuning stability issues does this fit with your experience any tips love the podcast as always keep it up what you're doing is valuable and unique p.s my telly is still playing great thanks for setting it up so well warren in
0: seattle thanks warren i really appreciate it man and uh yeah, the B and the G strings are always the problem spot on intonation, aren't they? And I think it's because we, as guitar players, like to bend the living tar out of those strings. Uh, it's also a function of... You know, back in the day, everybody used a wound G string, and that's a lot more stable. Um, It'll intonate differently, so, you know, it has the guitar has to be re-intonated for a wound G, but... The 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 problem with a wound G string is it's really hard to bend. And uh try playing Chuck Berry with a wound G string, you know, you just can't do it. It's very hard to do. So yeah, those are the the yeah, those are always the problem. Those are always the problem spots, the G and the B string. But um I, I think it's because we tend to bend them a lot. Vintage SGs Yeah, the um you know they've got a, they have they have kind of a funny neck joint and they're thin and they've got a, usually a thin mahogany neck that is kind of flimsy it's not like a fender like a like a hard maple neck, so the necks are a little bit flimsy, yeah they do kind of have t- tuning issues especially if you get the ones with the uh with the tremolo systems um yeah, that they definitely can have more tuning problems than, uh, say, the Telecaster that's just, you know, rock solid. But, you know, and any guitar should be able to be uh, serviced to, to the point that it's tolerable. Yeah, there you go. That's, cool. That's my answer. Thanks, Warren. I, I do appreciate it, man, and I'm glad that, uh, yeah, it sounds like I set up his telly. and uh, yeah. Great. Thanks for letting me do that.
1: Do you have an opinion on tailpiece height for ABR-1? Is that, what, is that what that says? Yes. Style bridges? How significant is the don't let the strings touch the back of the bridge philosophy? Thanks, Lane.
0: Thank you, Lane. Yeah, the ABR-1 is is the part number for the Tunamatic, the it, gib- Gibson Tunamatic Bridge.
1: It sounds like a nuclear testing facility.
0: The ABR-1... <laughs> The reactors have gone critical at ABR-1. <laughs> yeah, so the uh, conventional wisdom there is, be, you know, you've got the, the uh, bridge itself and then the saddle sticks up and then um, there's a tailpiece back behind it and the conventional wisdom is you want to adjust all of that so that the string doesn't touch the back of the base of the ABR-1. It does, you don't want the string touching the base of the tunematic bridge. And I subscribe to that philosophy myself. I, uh, you know, the, the fewer things the string touches in its string path, the, uh, the more stable that your tuning is going to be. So I do like that theory. I know a lot of people think that no matter what's going on, that you should, you should, uh, lower the uh, the stop bar, the tailpiece, the stop tail, all the way down to the wood as far as it'll go to improve tone and sustain. I don't know how true that is. And then some people will do that and then put the string through backwards and wrap it around the top so that, so that the angle is a little bit better coming off of the uh, stop bar. It's all personal preference. It really is. There's, there's really not a right or wrong way to do it, you know. Billy Gibbons does, that's how he does his. He puts it all the way down to the wood, and then strings it backwards. puts the string in, um, you know, backward and then around the stop bar, and then over the tunematic. And I'm gonna tell Billy Gibbons he's wrong. I mean, come on. Yeah. That's not how I do it, but it's all personal preference. If you're having, here's the deal. If you're not having tuning problems with whatever you're doing now, then don't worry about it.
1: There you go. Yeah. Hi, Eric. I really enjoy the podcast, and I am just two episodes shy of having listened to them all. Wow. Thanks for all the great work and effort put in, put into them. My question is regarding acoustic neck resets. I recently contacted a local, local luthier about possibly having a neck reset done on my 2000-2001 Martin Trippelot 15S. I was advised by this luthier that no one would be willing to do a neck reset, and the only option would be to have the bridge shaved. I was curious if this was considered a legitimate method or a hack repair. I leaned towards a hack repair, since if the problem appeared again, the guitar would require both a new bridge and a neck reset. I am curious what your thoughts are. If you use this in the podcast, please keep my name anonymous, lest the luthier in question happens to listen to this podcast. Thank you for your time. Best name withheld.
0: Whoa, He's in the uh, Fret Files Witness Protection Program. Yeah. Yeah, I think that your local luthier was, uh, did you, is that how you pronounce that word?
1: Is that what I said? Luthier? (laughs) Luthier. (laughs) <laughs> that's not what i said is it
0: it sounded like it but i'm so sorry i'm, sorry. I'm just being a uh... <sighs> it's okay hey it's good it's all good i uh anyhow yeah absolutely that the neck on that guitar can be reset uh sanding the bridge down is kind of a hack repair and it's really only something that i would do on a guitar that um is a really cheap guitar that where the you know the neck is doweled on or something or you know some weird butt joint with epoxy or you know some weird right. some weird asian made hundred dollar guitar oh, yeah, yeah you could sand the bridge down on that but not on a nice martin yeah don't do that I hate it when people do that because then there's you know there's no way to put that wood back on it's the the damage is done so right if you know, as it gets worse, the only solution is new bridge and new and neck reset. So, yeah, you could absolutely have a neck reset done on that. You bet.
1: I happen to know somebody who does neck resets.
0: Yeah, send it to me if you want. Um, I looked up the model, and, yeah, that's a Martin that's not going to be a fun neck reset because it's just because of the way that it. it's one of the smaller Martins where there's... Uh, you'd have to see a picture of it. I don't know. The, the I think it's a 12-fret guitar where... There's a lot of fingerboard going all the way to the sound hole, which is, I mean, it's no big deal. It it could be reset. It could absolutely be reset. And and I think the guy you took it to is wrong. Sorry.
1: Well, that stinks for him. Sorry,
0: guy. Sorry, random guy somewhere out there that's not going to listen to this anyway.
1: Yeah, right. Hi, Eric. I have heard that when gluing a bridge on a flat top acoustic guitar, that you should score the underside with hash, hat, hash... Hatch or hash? Hash browns. Hash browns. H- hatch, uh, hatch marks. Hatch marks. Is it hatch? Because I'm pretty sure I use hash when I say hash marks.
0: Well, I think it's hatch marks. All right. I don't know. Is uh, it hash marks? What did he say?
1: Hatch. He said hatch.
0: Hatch marks. Hatch well, marks. Well, I'll have to look it up. All
1: right. Uh, to give the glue something to grip. I've also heard that a smooth surface is best. Which is right? Thank you, Jeremy.
0: I'm looking up hatch marks. Hatch marks, also called hash marks or tick marks.
1: Oh, so it's the same. Yeah,
0: so it's the same thing. Same thing. Same thing. Jeremy, thanks for the question. I've I've thought about this a lot over the years, and I've 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 altered the way I do things. I was taught, you know, almost 25 years ago. Yes. I was taught that when you re-glue a bridge on an acoustic guitar that you take a blade and you put hatch marks on the underside and, you know, you score it. Right. To give the glue something to bite into. And it made sense to me. And so, you know, I did that for years. Well, somebody at some point explained to me that um, the best way to do it is uh to get the surfaces as flat as possible. And if you think about like uh two panes of glass stuck together and you know they're hard to get apart, right? It's because they're it's f- just flat. Right. And uh it's just the physics of it anyhow. This, don't take my word for it. This comes from a uh, popular woodworking magazine. I'm going to read this for you. An article by Steve Shanesy in Popular Woodworking Magazine. And uh, this is a letter that they printed from Bob Bankey, who is Franklin's senior technical specialist. Franklin uh, makes tight bond, the the glue. Sure. And he uh, uh, is the senior technical specialist for that glue company. And this is what he says about it. Our work has shown that a smooth surface will always have higher strength than a rough surface. 200 grit or higher sanding to get flat or tight-fitting joints works well. Wood glues work by attaching to cellulose on the wood, and the smoother and tighter the joint, the less adhesive is needed to bond the surfaces. Less adhesive gives fewer areas of imperfections, bubbles, skips, dust, and gaps where stress can accumulate and cause glue line failure. Also, wood glues tend to be around 50% solids and therefore they shrink when they dry. If the rough surface is too gappy, as the adhesive dries and shrinks, it will pull away from one surface or the other, leaving gaps in the glue line, which again will concentrate force when the joint is stressed. This is why wood glues need to be clamped. Clamping keeps the surfaces in contact as the glue shrinks and dries. A note of caution on smooth surfaces. Burnished areas may be smooth, but will not bond. So make sure the underside of the bridge isn't burnished. You want to smooth, you want to, you know, sand it with like 220 grit.
1: Interesting. Yeah.
0: So not perfectly smooth, like burnished, but not hatch marks either. Anyway, I continue. Burnished areas may be smooth, but will not bond. Burnishing causes the cellulose to change chemical characteristics, and thus not bond to the polyvinyl alcohol portion of the wood glue. Wow. This can be tested by putting a drop of water on the surface of the wood. If it doesn't soak in, the surface is burnished or sealed and should be sanded until cleaned of the burnishing. For hammer veneering, you can use either hot or liquid hide glue. I've read that roughing the surface of the substrate and veneer gives better strength, but our work shows that too much roughing of the surface can loosen the fibers and fiber tear, which can weaken the bond. As above, the adhesive bonds to the cellulose so a rough surface is not necessary, but as long as it doesn't damage the wood surface to be bonded, it will produce good results on veneers. That's for Bob Bankey, Senior Technical Advice at, at Senior... What did I say?
1: Senior Technical Specialist.
0: Senior Technical Specialist at Franklin... Franklin yeah, so there you have it.
1: That's interesting.
0: I know, very scientific too, and and you know it makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense. Anyhow, that's the uh, show for today. Thank you for listening. We do appreciate it. Do you like the show? I do. Well, you should tell you all your friends. You know, all the friends you have.
1: Yeah, they're tell they're them. all listening right now.
0: Share it on Facebook or Instagram or whatever the whatever you're you know.
1: There's a new one.
0: Whatever you're doing. Called Vero. I don't even want to know about it.
1: Well, I'm on it. (laughs) And I have like seven (laughs) followers. Wow.
0: Uh, Yeah, if you have a moment, give us a five-star rating on iTunes. You know, it helps us reach more people, which just gets us more listeners and more questions, just makes the show better. So the other thing to do is to participate. Go to ericdaw.com, E-R-I-C-D-A-W.com. Click the contact link and submit your question or comment there. We'll use it as part of the show. The other way to do it is to call 757-774-8482. That's 757-774-8482. Thanks for listening. We will talk to you soon.
1: Goodbye.